Um, it's a good evening to you tonight. Um, you're probably thinking, what, an offering on a Wednesday night? No. <laughs> you may be wishing so after about 10 minutes, but no, no offering. Um, I've been asked to speak again. And um, yeah, so as you probably noticed, I'm pretty nervous. So we'll see what happens. So um, thankful to God for uh, giving me this opportunity and also to pass the Lord for trusting me to do this in his absence. Um, and the topic tonight that I want to look at is um, found in the very well-known passage of Isaiah chapter 6. Um, this, studying this passage in preparation for tonight, um, it's incredible how deep and how much um, you can dig out of this passage. And uh, basically tonight is a drop in the bucket, what can be drawn from this scripture. Uh, this true story of Isaiah's vision uh, and his commission is, is really is an amazing event because it gives us some good insights of um, God and also what was happening around the time this happened. So I'll pray now and ask God to help us and then we'll read this passage so we can see what we can learn because that's pretty much what we need to do, learn so we can practically use what God's given us in the Bible. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity tonight to um, look at this passage. I pray, Lord, you'd help me. I pray, Father, that you'd help me say everything that's right. And I pray, Lord, that the people here would just remember the things that you want. And I pray, Lord, above all, that you'd be pleased and glorified as a result of tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read from, uh, I'll read Isaiah chapter 6. I'll read a few of the verses. I won't go through the whole chapter because I'm not going to get close to covering that. But I'll read the, maybe up to 10. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and ye shall... And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So I'll finish the reading there, because of the amount to cover, we won't even come close to tonight. Um, but what we'll, what we, I'll start from verse 1, and just um, try and just pull out what we can from this that I've... Um, I guess what I've gleaned from my own studies here. And we see here in verse 1 that Isaiah, he chooses to chronicle this event, um, this time by an actual event and not the actual date. 
So often in our life, we remember an experience that happens because of the actual experience, not the actual date it actually occurs. So, for example, uh, you know, you, a man normally remembers that he's married, but he might forget the date of his anniversary. <laughs> and um, as a family, I'll remember many holidays that we had as a family, really, you know, fun times that we've had, but I can't remember the exact dates we went away on holidays. But the experience is what actually happened, uh, is what matters. And so looking at verse 1 there, we see what's happened there. That It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. And Uzziah doesn't say, you know, in the year 1000 BC or anything like that. He, he remembers his event by a quite an important event that happened in the nation of Israel at that time. So we look back at important events and we remember them because of the special things that occurred. So if, for myself, year 2000 is a big one for me. So in that year, um, I got married I finished my apprenticeship that year. We bought our first house together that year. So I could say something like, um, I can recall when we renovated this church building in the year 2000 because that was the year I was married and we were the first couple married in this building. So that's just an example of remembering an experience because of a certain, a certain thing that happened. And this is exactly what Isaiah is doing here. Now, if you know your Jewish kings... Uh, you may remember that Uzziah, he actually reigned for 52 years. So, you know, that's a long reign. And his reign was actually quite glorious. Um, but it, actually being, it was ended up being marred by a sin that he committed and um, he got diseased with leprosy for the rest of his days. And that tells me that no matter how good you are, no matter how glorious your reign here on earth, if you sin, there's consequences. There always is consequences. And if you're a child of God, generally those consequences will happen while you're on earth. And if you're not a child of God, eternal consequences. Um, um, and so we should never forget that about consequences of sin. But moving on here, this, the death of King Uzziah was a huge event. And um, for Isaiah, I'm sure, uh, and for the rest of Israel, one monarch reigning for so long would have brought so much stability and routine to this kingdom. I mean, just in Australia, you think in the last... 10 years, how much leadership change we've had. And, you know, they, there's always jokes about being an electrician that, you know, you check your smoke alarm when you change your prime minister every year. So <laughs> I've seen that one come up a few times. But um, it's something that... But then you remember the years before that, the Howard years, there was a lot more stability. No one ever questioned if who was going to be the prime minister next year. We all knew. So <clears throat> that was something that... Israel had just gone through. One leader established for 52 years and then dying was a very significant point. So that's why Isaiah knew the exact time that God had spoken to him and it also helped him never forget. It was the year that King Uzziah died. So very, very important. So this is the context of the time of this vision and um, I just want to now go through three things, three points in regards to this passage. So the first point is Isaiah receives a true vision of God. So... We see in verse 1 there, he said, He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. Which, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So what I've, I guess what I picked up from these few verses here, that now Isaiah sees the Lord God on the throne. 
What better replacement for that throne that Uzziah was on other than the Lord God himself? That's what Isaiah now has. God's glory was much higher, much more lifted up than Uzziah could have ever hoped for, even though he was a glorious king. And it's almost like God now is showing Isaiah that he is more than able to replace any other person in his life and that his glory is like none other. In fact, his glory um, is, is, is so great that when you look at the seraphims, they had the six wings it talked about. Uh, two, of the, two of the wings were used for flying, which pick, that pictures active service for God. They are in service. But then two of the wings covered their face, covered their eyes from God's glory. And then the other two you see covered their feet. And that's just a mark of respect. When you look at, like, Moses, asked, Moses was asked to take off his sandals on the holy ground, and that's a sign of respect there. So it just shows how great God really is in comparison to anything else, that even the seraphims around his throne show that respect. <clears throat> and so, like Isaiah went through a sad time in his life, I'm sure, and the whole nation with the death of Uzziah, for, for us this is true when we have sad and hard experiences when we look out at night and you gaze towards the sky, you see the stars much clearly if you turn off all the lights around you and then those stars are much brighter. And that's sometimes what God has to do for us. He has to put out the secondary lights so that way we can see the true eternal light a lot better. God puts out our little lights that we may see him better. Sometimes Uzziah has to die so we can see it's God who lives. God has to continually take away our little kings, the things that we trust in, in order to show us that, we have, that God might be in the wrong place in our life. He takes away things that we regard as essential so he can reveal to us what he thinks is essential. And that's what he was doing with Isaiah here. <clears throat> and what that brings us to now, what have we got on the throne of our life currently that may need to get removed so God can be revealed to us? Do we have some person, some, maybe some possession and ambition that rules us and that we're constantly thinking about? There is no room for that and for God. God has to be number one in our life and sitting on the throne. If we are his children, but he is not our number one, then I think we need to get prepared for a bit of chastening coming our way because God promises that he chastens those who are his own. And the other thing I, I took from this too is um, Isaiah's vision is set in the temple. And that is the obvious place where you're going to find God revealing himself at that time. Today, um, it's a local church where we meet. And this is often where God will reveal himself. And that can happen through the corporate worship. It can happen through the preaching. And um, are you faithful to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? That's something that's very important. You're more likely to find what God has for you when you're in his house and faithfully serving and attending. It's a smart thing to place yourself in the zone where God usually works with people. And that's today is his local church. By being faithful to God by regular attendance and service to him, you do place yourself in a better position for God to reveal more of himself to yourself and to your family if that's relevant to you. <clears throat> Plus, by coming to church, we get encouragement of the other believers and we also get to encourage others. We get the preaching of the word. And another thing that's very important, you get to outwork your own spiritual gifts that, the, that you've been given upon salvation. And this all helps us to grow in Christ. So this point is basically all about getting a true vision of God and where you need to be to get that. And that's helped by being surrounded by God's people.
When we begin to understand who God is, the rest of the things that need to happen start to fall into place. And that is what Isaiah experienced. And his next step um, in this point number two is, now Isaiah receives a true realisation of himself. In verse 5 it says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we see God in his glory, and that may be through his word, that can be through creation, or as Isaiah experienced the vision here, we will always be confronted with how insignificant we are. Someone else who went through this in the Bible is Job. If you um, know the story of Job, he went through this experience right before he ended up being doubly blessed at the end. In Job 38, I'll read it to you, verse 1, 2, and 3, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. So for the next four chapters, God now, I think it was Brother Michael who spoke about a little bit on Sunday morning. The next four chapters, God now just goes through and says, um, basically shows Job how great he is in comparison to anyone else or anything else. And that, when we see in, verse, in chapter 42, Job can only respond in this way. In verse 6 he says, I abhor myself, I repent in dust and ashes. That's all he could say after God finished his speech. And this sounds very similar to, to how Isaiah felt. They both had instant recognition of their inadequacies. A true vision and realisation of ourselves after seeing a vision of God is very important. Now, as far as we know, when we look at Isaiah, he seemed to be a young man of excellent character. After all, he was a prophet. I think he had the confidence and respect of everyone who knew him. After all, God used him to reveal some of the most amazing prophecies of the coming Messiah. And also the book of Isaiah is key um, now uh, that proves our current version of the Bible is, in, is um, accurate as well. Isaiah was the one found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's just interesting that it was the book of Isaiah mostly. Now the probabilities are Isaiah's life were most likely above reproach. But when he got a glimpse of the one true God, one true God he cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. No man can see God truly and feel the way and not feel the way Isaiah did. That's just how you will feel. Because when that vision came upon him, everything that Isaiah relied on, if he had any pride, if he had any self-sufficiency, all the morals that he would have built his life on, all of that suddenly was very underwhelming in comparison to God. Against the perfection of God, his own righteousness appeared as filthy rags. And for us today, when you see someone that you know without a doubt that God's got hold of them, um, there's no mistaking it. And not only that, they'll deflect all glory to God. They won't be trying to take any of God's glory for themselves. Verse 6, Isaiah exclaims, I am undone. It's interesting that he, he felt he was undone. What would have given Isaiah this feeling? And this is all part of realisation of himself. I think there's three things um, that happen when we feel undone, when we're truly confronted with God. Number one thing is there's a conviction of our unworthiness. So Isaiah, of all of Israel, seemed to be chosen by God to be his prophet, 
he was the one that bowed the lowest and was most admitting of his sin. And we, as God's children, we also need to be that way. We need to be ready to admit our sin and repent. Even when we have done a good work, we just need to realise that in God's eyes, it's, it's filthy rags. Um, unless we're saved, that means something then. But before that, the good works is nothing. Um, and not in the mean way. God's, God, is, God condescends and he chooses to accept us and, he, and our true efforts when we're his children, despite our human weaknesses. We don't even come close to required standards. So remembering this helps us keep pride out of our lives. Whenever we think we've done anything good, just pretty well remember that it's nothing compared to what God um, can do. If we're prideful, we simply cannot be used by God. The second reason I think we feel undone when we're confronted with God is the fact that just the great God is so near. This great God had come down from the heavens. It says here that the glory filled the earth. Um, The whole earth is full of God, all time, all space. And now Isaiah felt the presence of this eternal God right in his presence. Remembering that God is all-knowing and all-present and all-powerful, I think that'll help us to do the right thing. Um, Something that I've told um, my children, well, actually mostly, when she goes over a friend's house or something like that, I'll just, I'll just try to remind her and say, just remember, you know, Jesus is right there. He can hear and see everything, anything that you're thinking or doing. Just treat it like Jesus is right there because he actually is. You know, God is, God is right there. And helping us, just knowing this helps us do the right thing when we realise that God is nearby. The third thing why we feel undone is there's conviction of sin. We all have sin. And sometimes we have specific ones that we realise. And Isaiah was convicted of his unclean lips. When God convicts us of our sins, we need to admit them and repent to them. And this is why um, being faithful in church is also important. The Holy Spirit often convicts throughout a service, whether it be in the singing or in the preaching. Um, it's, uh, you, there's no um, replacement for coming to church and hearing God's word preached. Moving on to verse 6, it says there, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. This is, this is actually very interesting how the Lord cleanses Isaiah and purges his sin. Um, it was very interesting that the seraphim needed tongs to take the coal off this altar, which was then touched against Isaiah's lips. And this action is symbolic, and what we see is the process of redemption shown out here. Uh, the cleansing effect of the burning coal wasn't the actual coal working itself, but it's obviously the power of God which saves and forgives. The coal was taken from the altar where the sacrifices occurred in the temple which is also very symbolic of the coming Messiah who would cleanse all of mankind's sins. The other thing was the seraphim needed tongs to take the coal off the altar because the heavenly beings, they're not partakers of God's redemptive work with man. In fact, it says in the Bible that angels desire to look into these things um, in regards to the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit, but they can't. It says in 1 Peter 1.12, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. It's just, you know, I don't understand even half of all that, but it's just amazing. 
that the angels want to look into this but can't. I think it just shows how much God loves us. So the biblical sacrifices and the, the fire is God's method of accepting and taking an offering to himself. Uh, the flame that comes down from God consumes the sacrifice and the smoke carries it up to heaven and that's a sweet-smelling savour to God and that represents a God that graciously accepts and sanctifies the person and their sacrifices. There is no substitute for this power that only God can give. And just like a burning coal would cause pain to someone if it touched their lips, sometimes when our sins are purged, we go through a pain. It might not be a physical pain, but you still feel maybe an emotional pain or a pain, you know, because the flesh sort of enjoys the sins that we commit. And sometimes getting those things purged out of our life can you know, render a bit of pain there. And the flesh is never happy when we repent. But the joy and the peace knowing that we're right with God is worth it. And this then leads me on to point three, and that Isaiah can now receive his purpose because God and himself are now correctly seen. We look here in verse eight, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. So this third stage of Isaiah's experience is the readiness for service, which just springs up in his now cleansed being. He's, he's, he's being cleansed, he's ready to serve, and he desires to serve. And he's willingly volunteering immediately. There's no question. He immediately volunteers for service to God. And that's the same today. God is still seeking for volunteers today to do his service. There's no conscripts in his army. No one is forced to work. He wants volunteers. He wants the willing the previous experience of seeing God for who he was and himself as the unclean sinner made Isaiah quick to hear God's call and willing to respond to it by personal consecration and service. And it's the same for us when we repent and we're forgiven by Jesus. His work on the cross and the results of that make us want to be sanctified for his service and willingly volunteer for anything that he may want us to do. A truly born-again Christian who truly loves God, will sacrifice his own ambitions and desires and trade them in for God's glory. And this is what brings us true joy as born-again believers. It's when Jesus receives the praise and the glory because we have re represented him no matter what the personal cost. And that's shown by the apostles in Acts chapter 5. You can turn there if you want, but I'm happy to read it. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 to 42. And to him they agreed... And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So that's just, a, yeah, it's just amazing when God really gets hold of people, what, what, how that outworks. So before this vision, we have no idea what special call maybe Isaiah had already had on his life. You know, there's every chance that he got brought up in the schools of the prophets, as mentioned by previous prophets. Um, perhaps he's already, he had already received the word of the Lord and it had come to him, and, but maybe he'd already accepted that as this is what he'd do for his life. But at this point in time, he now had a vision and it was a clear, distinct call and a mission and this is because he now has a correct perspective of God and himself. Bringing it to today, it's amazing what a correct perspective will do when we're trying to discern a certain situation. 
So if we have a dispute between people, if you don't get both sides of the story, it's impossible to get a... It's, pro, it's impossible to discern correctly. Um, you just, you, there's no way you'll get the truth if you don't get both sides of the story. And that's what a judge will do. He'll get both sides of the story. Both, both sides can argue and then the judge can make, make a decision. And it's the same today. If we don't have the right perspective of God and then the right perspective of us, there is no way... There's no way we'll be able to serve him. It's going to be a struggle to please him. And then experiencing the joy of serving him will be very hard to come by. If we don't discern from the Bible how holy God is, how, how do we know how to act to please him? The Bible gives us those clear instructions. We know how holy God is. We know how he wants us to act. And if we can't discern that, there's no way that we can please him. And now Isaiah can receive his purpose that God has willed for his life because Isaiah knows his limitations as a human and he knows that God will empower him to do his will. Isaiah's walk with the Lord is right because he's being, being, he has been forgiven of his sins as well. So now God can commission him. So Isaiah gets this clear and distinct call and he's told to go and he's instructed what to say. When God's will is clear, we have no option but to act. Otherwise, we are living in disobedience. Isaiah was, or if you read a bit further on, it's, Isaiah was told that the people would not listen and that the land would end up desolate. He's basically told his ministry was not going to work out. Um, but that wasn't, the, that wasn't the issue. It was God's will that he still speak and tell the people. When the Bible is clear, there is no wiggle room. So when God has spoken on a subject, if we think we've got liberty, we haven't. It's clear that when, the, when God says something, there's no liberty. It's just it. So... So even if God's will for our life does not produce the fruit that we think it should, that does not matter. Obedience is the key. And God will judge righteously according to our obedience to his call on our lives. If God's call on your life is to labour and, and you may not see a huge harvest, you will be rewarded because of your faithfulness to his call, not the size of the harvest. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So in conclusion now, I just want to encourage you that if you've been faithful in a ministry, it might be years, and you think you've had no impact, you've had no fruit from this ministry, God has seen your faithfulness and God knows that you're being faithful. And if you're doing what he's asked you to do, he's pleased and you will be rewarded. Keep doing the thing God has asked until you get a clear calling otherwise. And it's important not to compare the results of your ministry with other ministries. This will only dampen the joy that you get from serving God. Comparison is the killer of joy and this is true for all areas of our lives. To be effective for God we must realise who God is, who we are in relation to God and our need for his forgiveness and power. And then we can realise our God-given commission that he's given us and we can be faithful in serving him. And that's, that's what we basically have to do. We have to be faithful serving him now while we're living in our days on earth, while we're patiently waiting for his coming. And um, I know it's brief. I know there's heaps more in that passage. But that pretty well wore me out studying that for the last week and a half. So I hope and pray that you're able to get something out of this study. And I'll just now close in prayer. And then I'll think Brother Andrew come up and close it. All right. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to learn. I pray, Father, that you just help us to be faithful in whatever we're serving you in, Lord, no matter what the results. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, even now um, bless everyone that's been here tonight. Help us to remember what you want remembered, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.